1: Well, that would explain. I can you hear me now. Yes. Okay. All right. Now I'm ready. <laughs> Kiran.
2: Uh, hi. So I have a question regarding uh, EAD. Uh, thanks, uh, Emily, uh, for giving this. Um, so recently I got my EAD uh, and I accepted an offer uh, using EAD, but I want to continue with the current employer. Uh, okay. So now employer B started using my EAD and now and the employer A is using H1B. So how can I tell employer A to move to EAD. So do I need to do that one or it's done automatically since employer B is using?
1: Yeah, so it basically happens automatically in thin air. Uh, You don't Uh have to tell employer A, you don't have to tell USCIS, you don't have to update your I-9 or anything. Simply by using the EAD to work for another company that you don't have an H-1B with means you're using your EAD for everything. Next time when your H-1B is about to expire, your employer A will contact you to update your I-9 form. And at that point, you can provide them with the EAD instead of having them do the H-1B renewal or your green card if you get it by then.
2: Okay. So on the top of uh, that one, so if employer A willing to extend my uh, H-1B, uh, can, I, can I go with that one? Uh, can I extend no. H-1B?
1: Technically, no, because by working for another company that you don't have an H-1B with, you're no longer maintaining H-1B status. So you can only extend your H-1B status when you're in H-1B status, but you've fallen out of H-1B status once you start working for the other employer.
2: So there is no way like now I can go back to H-1B status.
1: Only by having company A file for consular processing, making sure that you have an advanced parole Exiting, coming back on H1B, then you'll be back in H1B, but then you can't work for company B anymore once you come in on A.
2: Okay. So if I stop doing jobs, multiple jobs, then I can, then employer A can start filing, uh, extending H1B. Yes. Okay. If I stop doing multiple jobs, then I can, employee B can uh, continue working on the means H1B status. Okay.
1: Employer A or B?
2: Yeah. Employer A. Employer A can.
1: Yeah. Start yeah, extending. if you stop and then to get back into H-1B status, you can take a quick trip to Canada or Mexico, come back in on your existing H-1B. Now you're back in H-1B status and can extend the H-1B as normal.
2: Okay, okay. So the stop means how can can stop? Uh, means I can resign it or like now uh, stopping the payroll should be fine enough?
1: No, you, you need to actually terminate the employment.
2: And terminate the employment. Okay, it. Yep. it.
3: Thanks, Emily, right. Thanks for clarification.
1: Yeah. Next question. Harish.
3: Hi, uh, good morning and thank you. Hi, Harish. Oh, can you hear me?
1: Yeah.
3: Yes, go ahead. Yeah, uh, my employer moved to new address, but LCA has not applied it since both addresses are uh, within 25 miles, even though they are in different MSA. But I have travel plan and scheduled an H-1B drawback option. And I will submit a change of address letter from the company. Will I face any issue for visa stamping? Also, uh, do I need to submit a, a new DS-160?
1: So the actual, so the company moved and your work location moved as well, or just the company moved?
3: Uh, Work location as well.
1: Work location as well. Okay. And you said it's in a different MSA, but still within a commuting distance?
3: Yeah, it is like around 20 miles is different from older to new address.
1: Okay. Yeah, I would just have the employer in their employment verification letter that they would normally give you. let mentioned that the address has recently changed here's the new address Mm -hmm. it is within a normal commuting distance it's only 25 miles away so it does not impact the lca validity Um, Mm -hmm. and then you can update the address on your ds160 if you've already submitted it Um, you Mm -hmm. can go ahead and do that and bring the corrected ds160 with you for the dropbox
3: Oh, got it. Okay. Actually, I have got uh, I have got employment verification letter separately and uh, address change uh, letter separately. Is that fine, or that's do I fine. need to include that's... all? Okay.
1: No, that's fine if you have two separate
3: letters. Okay, but uh, you prefer to have like more information, like how much distance, and it won't affect LCA, all those things, right?
1: That would be preferable, or a letter from the attorney can uh, can do the same.
3: Okay. Okay. Yeah, I got it. And then in my okay in this case really the lca is required or it is something like uh, because that uh, like near commutable distance is subjective matter right uh, it is anywhere it is not written like what exactly is that a uh, distance
1: right it's only if it's a material change and if it's within a normal commuting distance it's usually not considered to be a material change which means no new lca is required
3: understood okay yeah uh, thank you for uh, clarifying that i think i am good to go for the stamping without uh, changing my plan uh, okay uh, thanks a lot Emily. i think yeah you clarified my answer thanks a lot
1: you're welcome next question mm-hmm. Ambishi?
4: hello uh yes my question is um oh uh, sorry hello good morning um i uh, uh, i got picked in the lottery for h1b last year uh but i mm-hmm. didn't um go to the embassy and get my petition approved just quite yet i just wanted to know if there was like a um an expiry date to that petition like does that uh go away in like say april when the next round of h1b's happened?
1: gotcha so you got selected and the company filed your petition
4: yes that's right
1: okay and was the petition approved for consular processing or change of status
4: uh consular processing but i haven't gone to the MC yet yeah
1: Gotcha, okay. So you can go for stamping anytime during the validity of the petition, which is generally going to be three years. Um, okay. The um, important thing to be aware of is the longer you wait, the more risk is involved. Assuming you're continuing to work for the company that sponsored you, that's fine. Very little risk. But the problem is if you are waiting a year, two years, And then what if you lose this job? You can't go for stamping now. And if you can't go for stamping, that means you have not been counted in the cap and have to go through the lottery again. So for that reason, I would recommend going sooner rather than later so you can lock in that status and then you don't have to worry about going through the lottery again in the event of a job loss in the future.
5: Understood, okay. Uh,
4: okay, I'm not working for that employer at the moment. So you're saying, given that just go as soon as possible?
1: Yes, I would, okay. because that's the only way, you know, if that employer says, you know, drops their job offer next week, you can't take advantage of that H-1B anymore. You would have to Got go it. through the lottery again, you can't transfer it to another employer.
4: Got it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Emily. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
1: Yep. Next question. Next
6: uh, hello, ma'am. Hello, Emily. Uh, good morning and thank you for taking this call. Uh, my my green card recently uh, got approved for me and my wife, both uh, just last week. And then we got uh, like uh, with this new company, we applied in EB3, but the, my, my, I'm the primary and I got the category came as E26, but my wife's uh, category came as E37, which is correct for EB3 as a dependent. Should I be worried and uh, are, do I apply I-90 or get it corrected or... Should I just leave it? Uh, That's one question. Second question is Mm -hmm. that uh, how do I make sure that they intended to uh, approve in, I mean, they they approved in EB3, but just it's just a a printing mistake. How how would I make sure that? And the other thing is that we went to... Go ahead, go ahead. So you only
1: had an EB3 I-140? No no EB2 I-140 ever?
6: With this new employer, only EB3 I-140. Gotcha old employer, yes, I had different. Uh, with the old employer, yes, I had EB-215.
1: Okay. Yeah, so it sounds like it's just a typographical error on the card. Um, so you can probably contact customer service um, to have them put in a request to get that corrected and mail the original card back and get the new corrected one. Um, that's, that's where I would start is with customer service, that 1-800 number.
6: Rather than I-90, filing I-90, you mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so will, do you know if they will confirm that it's approved in EB3, but, but it's just a typographical error?
1: They should. It, they may not be able to write then over the phone, but as they're looking into your service request to determine whether it was a typographical error, if it was, then they'll give you instructions for how to send your card back and get the new one. If it was not, then they will they would let you know that the card is correctly approved in the EV2 category. Oh,
6: okay, all right. Um,
5: yeah,
1: that's all,
5: thank you, ma'am. Mm-hmm. next question. Hi, Emily. Um, I'm trying to figure out uh, which visa I would need to come on to work uh, and make, and earn money legally in in, in the USA now uh, through some sort of payroll system. I'm a PR currently in Canada, approaching my three years here, uh, and I have, I'm have i a British citizen. Um, so I just really, and, and it's gonna be for a professional sports um, team that I'd come as a professional coach. So I need to figure out what visa um, I would need to come on.
1: Gotcha, okay. Um, so there's a couple of different options uh, for a coaching position, potentially an O-1 might be available. Um, if you can show that you have extraordinary ability um, in your prior coaching, uh, that could be an option. Um, an H-1B could potentially be an option. Is this pro sports team um, any um, relation to your uh, to the uk is there any kind of relationship with a team in the uk or anything like that or is it just a u.s uh,
5: sports team uh no it, w- it would uh specifically be a u.s lead that i'd be coming to gotcha. uh work okay with. gotcha so one okay. B.
7: Mm-hmm. Okay.
5: the
1: difficulty with the h1b is it's a lottery process if you've never had one before so and it uh, the lottery happens in march and it doesn't start until october so depending on the sports season oh, it may not be the best yeah. option um, but I would say most pro sports teams try to go the O-1 route.
5: How long does the O-1 take to come through?
1: Um, just a couple of weeks. It can be filed in premium processing. The most of the processing is going to be you gathering documents and evidence, um, but it doesn't yep. take that long to be processed by the immigration service.
5: Okay, perfect. And do you know roughly how much that costs? Or
1: it uh, varies greatly in terms of legal fees. Um, filing fees are just $460 for the I-129 petition and then $2,500 for the premium processing. But legal fees could be anywhere five to $10,000 ballpark, just depending on what firm they use.
5: Okay, perfect. I'll look into the old one. Thank All you right. so much, Emily.
1: You're welcome. Surya?
8: So- Hi, I'm Lee. So I'm, uh, I'm on H-1B and have I-140 approved. Uh, My wife has H-4 visa, so Mm -hmm. which one is faster to get, like uh, myself applying for the H-4 EAD or within one month I have a H-1 extension pending, so I'm thinking to do it like concurrent processing, H-4 extension, uh, H-4 EAD, and H-1 extension versus me filing.
1: And you'll be eligible to file that in one month from now?
8: Yes. Yes. About one okay. month, later, about month.
1: I probably would wait and file them all together in premium in one month because USCIS is going back to coupling all three applications together. Um, they've started doing it, but it's not consistent. Um, but they are um, in part of our litigation that class action lawsuit. We're working on a settlement that's going to require them to process them all together. Um, so, probably hopefully knock on wood by the time you're ready to file they will be doing that concurrent processing of all three so I would wait
8: okay so when I if I have to pay for the premium processing uh, so I just pay the fee for one for me
7: for me right just correct one just the 2500
1: just once yep
7: yeah. yeah that's it all right thank
1: you next question hi um
7: Emily um I have two questions regarding eb5 visa for a, a mm-hmm. Pakistani citizen uh, one mm-hmm. was that which one would be better in terms of getting approved, approval chances? You know, somebody here on a visitor visa and then they apply for change of status or they apply from Pakistan. And the second question was the transfer of funds. So these days, this, it, the government pretty much doesn't allow big amounts of dollars to be transferred outside the country. So what are the options if, if somebody wants to go for EB-5 and want to transfer funds? Gotcha.
1: I don't think I would be the right person to answer that second question, since it's not part of the actual immigration process, more of a business, maybe CPA type of question. Um, In terms of coming in on a B-1 to file versus filing while you're outside the U.S., um, there's no difference in how they adjudicate that application, because it all boils down to have you invested the right amount of funds? Have you proven the source of those funds? Is it a qualifying um, you know, um, enterprise and all that sort of thing? None of it comes down to your status. Um, and if you are coming in on the B-1, um, you know, you, you, if assuming that the priority date is current, you could file the EB-5 petition and the I-485 together and then stay and get an EAD card while you're waiting for it. But if the priority date is not current, then it really doesn't, you don't, just filing the petition doesn't give you any status or extend your um, stay at all. So it all would boil down to at the time you're filing is a visa number available, is that priority date current? Then that would give you the opportunity to file adjustment of status and remain while the whole process is pending which can be helpful, mm. uh, but it's not mandatory for that. It's certainly easier to manage your investment um, if you're doing a direct investment when you're here in the US, but you have to make sure that you have some kind of status um, if or wait till you get the EAD to be able to do that if, if you're filing the adjustment of status.
7: It sounds like the, the, the change of status on a visitor visa may be a little bit risky compared to if they file from already sitting in Pakistan?
1: Um, So the risk is quite small. It's called preconceived intent. And it really depends on, um, they're not focusing on that as much anymore. It used to be a rule that if you came in on a visitor visa, you should not change status or file anything within 90 days. They're going to assume that you have had that intention at the time you entered. So as long as you wait those 90 days before you file, Mm -hmm. uh, we've not seen Mm -hmm. any issues with that. And if you're coming in on a business visa, you know, saying, "Hey, I'm coming in to look for investment opportunities," that's completely in line with eventually finding an investment and making the investment and filing the adjustment of status. Um, So generally, it's we we don't really see that preconceived intent issue come up anymore as long as you wait 90 days and you're. Not giving any contrary information um, at right. the port of entry or when you're applying for that business visa.
7: So I was thinking from the point of view where you said that it depends on the priority date. Uh, you know, let's say you're here and it's after 90 days, and and you you want to apply, but there is no priority dates available. Uh, then you kind of stuck in a limbo, right?
1: Yeah. If there's no priority dates available, you know, you basically file the 526 and then leave at the end of your B2 stay um, because you're not going to be able to extend your B2 or B1 status uh, beyond what they originally gave you.
5: Okay,
7: okay. And what what kind of visa is the business visa that they can apply from there and then come uh, and do EB5 here when they get here?
1: Um, Either a B1, if you're coming in for purposes of looking for an investment opportunity, Um, or potentially an e-visa depending on what the type of business is going to be and whether you can meet those requirements. Then you could come in to actually make the investment, run the business, and also try Mm. pursuing the EB-5 at the same time.
7: Sounds good. Thank you so much.
1: Next question. Ashwin?
5: (laughs) Can you guys hear me?
1: Yes, go
6: ahead. Uh, Thanks Emily for your time. Uh, I have one question uh, regarding my wife EAD. Uh, My wife EAD, uh, it's gonna expire in December, 2023. Um, uh, She has a H4 valid until June, 2025 because I recently moved an employer. Um, So I wanna know when is the earliest I can apply for her EAD? Can I apply now or should wait like six months before?
1: Yeah, I would wait till six months before because because she does have that extended um, H-4. She qualifies for the automatic EAD renewal that lasts for 540 days. So it's not as risky to wait longer to file. Um, I know that 540 day um, has a cutoff coming up. I believe it's October 26th or September 22nd. For some reason, those two dates are stuck in my head. Do you need to file it before that date to make sure that she gets the automatic 540 day extension, but that should be plenty of time for her to get the new EAD before that 540 days run out.
5: Okay.
6: So um, what you're saying is I can apply now as well, uh, but it's- um, No,
1: it's too early to file now.
6: Okay. Okay. I would wait, yeah. Okay, so before October is what I have to file is what you're saying right?
1: Yeah, I was just going to look up that date real quick. I had it from yesterday and now I can't remember off the top of my head. One second. Sure.
5: Um
1: yeah, as long as you file before October 26th, you'll she would get the automatic 540 day extension. Um, thanks. Thanks, Emily.
5: Uh, that's mm-hmm. all I got. All right. Next
9: question. PC. Hi, Emily. This is murugesh Um, this is, I, I'm planning to, uh, I'm going to start my employ- new employment from, uh, uh February 1st, uh, w- using my EAD. Uh, what are the documents, you know, I, just, I need to fill up my uh, i 9 form. That's it. Or any other document I need to it to them.
1: Yeah, it's just the EAD um, for the I nine form. That's it.
9: That's it. And okay. whatever their
1: normal onboarding is, but from the immigration side, it's just showing them your EAD uh, when they complete the I nine.
9: Okay. Um, and uh, after that, I'm planning to uh, visit India, and uh, I have option to work from home. So I'm planning to stay there for three months. Is it okay or
1: no problem at all?
9: Okay. And uh, the last one is uh, about the payment. Uh, you know, uh, my payroll will be, uh, even I'm going to start from February 1st, um, he, he is going to start running my payroll from uh, May 1st because of the terms with my client. So after he received the payment from the client, he will run start my payroll. Uh, is it okay or is there any issue?
1: Um, it's okay for the EAD because the EAD doesn't have the same restrictions as the H-1B, um, but it may violate employment law in the state where you're going to work. Uh, I don't think they are uh, just any company in general for U.S. workers, for citizens, for green card holders, anyone. Um, you know, you're supposed to be paid when when you're actually working, uh, but it's not going to be an immigration problem for you. Uh,
9: so, how can I rectify this? You know, this kind of uh, situation. Because, well, I mean, uh, I...
1: basically if you're starting work, they should be paying you timely for that work, uh, regardless of whether they've got the project or not for you to start on or what, or, you know, especially if you're working on that client project already, even if their payment is delayed to the company, um, they're not allowed to delay your payment because of that.
9: No, I'm actually indirectly or indirectly. I'm going to run the business actually kind of thing. So, uh, so is it is it possible to use my personal money for that one or running the payroll? What do you mean?
1: You're going to run the business?
9: Um, I my that's my friend's company. Uh, I'm going mm-hmm. to join. Um, so, uh, I I have a client. So uh, I already tied up with uh, you know spoke with uh, my uh, my client and uh, they have uh in all agreements everything was done. But they will start mm-hmm. the you know, the payment the agreement between my. Uh, client and my company has but you know that is 45 days payment so uh, it will take up uh, you, know, you know i will we will get the payment after 40 45 plus 30 almost close to 75 days after that
8: mm-hmm.
9: from the start date of my employment so, so meanwhile like can i cannot run my when run, run the payroll or anything that's why i'm wondering um
1: i mean the company should be running your payroll for the company to be following employment law rules. Mm-hmm. Um, if you work, the company should be paying you. Now, if you're gonna do 1099 and not be um, an actual employee, if but be you're a contractor. Planning to,
10: yeah, p- no,
9: playing for, p- planning for the W-2.
1: Okay, so for W-2, yeah, if you're going to be employed as of X date, they have to pay you as of that date through their normal payroll, regardless of whether they're getting paid by the client. But again, that's a employment law issue that the company could be violating. It doesn't do anything for your non- your status or green card or anything like that. So just but, for your friend, your friend may want to contact an attorney in their state to find out what the payroll rules are in their state to make sure they're not violating anything. He's
9: in the, the company is in Texas too. <laughs>
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for, you know, I do immigration law, not employment law. Um, But if they have an HR person, or they can reach out to an HR business partner through their payroll company, uh, or their payroll company, it may be able to guide them better on that just to make sure they're not running into any um, problems with Texas Workforce Commission. Okay, okay. violations there.
10: Yeah. Okay, thank you.
1: next. No.
2: Hello. Uh, hi, Emily. Good morning. Uh, I just have a quick question. Uh, I'm working on H4ED right now. Uh, so I'm planning to go to uh, India for a stamping. Uh, I want to stay there for two months. Uh, if my client allows to work uh, two months remotely, can I work? Can I, uh, am I? Am I able to work from India?
1: Yes, no problem at all. Um, so it's all based on where you're actually sitting so if you're sitting in India, if the law in India allows an Indian citizen to work remotely or to work while you're in India, totally fine. No US immigration laws are, are involved in that. Um, so I would assume if as an Indian citizen, you can work in your home country without having any issues. So yes,
2: no issues at all. Oh, So, I, um, so my payroll will be run in the US, is that okay? That's that fine, fine for yep, me? still fine.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, so i am um, uh, okay to work from in remotely from india right for a us client yes mm-hmm. okay thank you that that is my question thank you so much yeah. yeah.
4: next emis
1: hi uh,
6: my husband's h my husband's h1b expires in june 2023 uh, his employer has filed uh, his form application, the determination of which uh, process is done. Uh, his priority date is 2010, so it's current. Uh, is it okay if, um, can we extend our uh, H-1B beyond six hour
3: limit?
1: So the June 2023 is his six year limit? Yes. Okay, and he has a 2010 priority date with a prior company, I-140? Yes. Gotcha, okay. So once the priority date becomes current, um, USCIS limits the extensions to uh, just one year instead of the normal three-year extensions that he's probably been getting. But because that date has been current for more than a year and he's not filed the 485, it becomes discretionary. So they don't have to give that one-year extension. Um, Our experience has been they're giving the one-year extension We don't submit any additional paperwork. We just file it asking for a one-year extension with a copy of that I-140 approval notice. Um, And they've been going through without any questions, anything related to that discretion. They could send an RFE saying, hey, why haven't you filed the 485? Your priority date's been current for more than a year. But then you can explain, hey, this is where my current company is at in the process. So they're working on it, but I can't file the 485 because I don't have that company's I-140 yet. Um, it's okay. still discretionary, but they have been giving those extensions. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Sai? Next question. Sai?
4: Hi. Um, hi, my name is Sai. So I currently live in Canada right now. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to immigrate to the U.S. Uh, I'm a licensed profession. I'm, an, uh, I'm, I'm a pharmacist here. Um, I did contact, uh, um, somebody of my knowledge. So, uh, they're, they are an employer. I mean, they have, they have two pharmacies, um, uh, in the U S. Uh, uh, so they are ready to file a H1B for me. Um, but what I want to know is, uh, I mean, I, I have to, uh, finish my licensing exams before, um, uh, i become a licensed pharmacist there. So, um, I can, can I immigrate as a pharmacy intern? Um, would that be qualified for a H-1B filing? Um, do you have any idea or have you dealt with any of the clients with related to a pharmacy at all?
1: How long would it take you to get your licensure?
4: Um, so I am in the process. I have started um, with the documentation and stuff. So it would take anywhere between an year um, for me to finish the whole process,
10: mm, there is like two okay. steps
4: for the exams. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the first step of the exam is in October uh, of 2023. And once I finish that, uh, I'll have to um, I'll finish about 1,500 hours of internship for which I need work, uh, I mean, work employment uh, authorization, um, mm-hmm. which is where I'm stuck uh, on how uh, I should be uh, getting the employment authorization.
1: So the 1,000 hours has to be as a pharmacist or in what type of position to qualify? Uh, it for the has
4: license to be for? as an intern, pharmacy intern, basically. Okay. I mean, you cannot be okay. fully, uh, yeah, you cannot be a pharmacist on, unless you finish those intern hours. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's where... Uh...
1: Okay. Um, so I can't say I've done it for a pharmacy intern, but we do a very similar process for lawyers, for example for someone who um, has a law degree, but doesn't have the license in the state, we will typically file them as a law clerk, which is a basically an intern. We can't call them an attorney yet, just like I'm sure you can't call yourself a pharmacist until you have that license. Um, so yeah. As long as the pharmacist intern position normally requires at least a bachelor's degree or higher in pharmacy, um, mm-hmm. and you're, um, then that should be doable to allow you to temporarily come in in that lower level position um, to complete the licensure process and then amend the H1B to the full pharmac- pharmacist position uh, once you get the license.
4: Okay, so um, so I mean, doesn't I, I know that H1B has a particular um, uh, uh, salary range that it has to be in. Um, mm-hmm. so, so the employer has to show that uh, my salary would be ranging in that, uh, in that pay range. Is that right?
1: Right. Yeah. So they would have to look at what, um, what occupation code they could use for a pharmacy intern. Um, because mm-hmm. obviously a pharmacist pay is probably going to be higher than that. So they'd have to really, um, just pick the, so- select the correct code that goes with that position that still shows that the position requires the bachelor's or higher degree in pharmacy. Um, So it may not necessarily be called pharmacy intern. It really depends on, um, you know, what's normal for that occupation to call a position like that. And as long as it requires the degree um, and based on that occupation code, that's how the salary requirement is determined.
10: Okay. Okay. So we Um, do the same
1: thing for architects. We call it an intern architect usually or a drafter, a civil drafter or something like that. So we don't typically use the architect prevailing wage for those H-1Bs. We use something else that is similar, um, but doesn't require the license. So it has a lower wage requirement. Okay. All right,
5: yeah, okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
10: Next question. Krishna. Uh, Hi, uh, this is Krishna. Uh, Good afternoon, Emily. Um, One question I have is for uh, regarding my 140 transfer. So I'm looking to transfer to another company. Uh, With the current company, I already have my I-140 with the current date as um, March, 2021. Uh, With the transfer uh, to another company, um, what would be the process be? Would there be any risks in uh, transferring the I-140? So uh,
1: what's your current immigration status, H-1B?
10: H-1B. Yep. Sorry.
1: Okay. So you'll file an H-1B transfer. And then because your priority date is not current and you have not filed the 485 yet, it means the new company has to go through the whole labor certification all over again. And based Uh on their labor certification, they will then file an I-140. But you can port the priority date from your old I-140 to the new I-140. So you just include a copy of the old employers i-140 approval notice in the new i-140 petition so that you'll get the correct priority date on your new i-140 approval notice but the i-140 technically can't be transferred from one employer to another the new employer has to go through the whole perm process
10: um and typically that would be like uh let's say the current times it, it's it's about uh an year and a half to two years right so correct. what it, um, so i have this so when they transfer my h1b so i let's say I get about three years, or maybe let's say if if it's like just two years. So what is the risk if I don't get that 140 within that two years?
1: You can keep using the old employer's I-140 to get the extensions until that priority date becomes current.
10: Is it, I'm assuming uh,
1: so, that, I-1, that I-140 has been approved for at least six months?
10: Uh, yes, uh, it's been approved in May, 2022. So yeah, it's okay. more than six months. No, yeah, so, uh, you can
1: keep using that I-140 for extensions with any company.
10: Oh, great. Uh, so so th- there's nothing like that 140 uh, the previous I-140 gets expired or it's no more valid because the H-1B has been transferred to another employer or something like that?
1: Right. It, it remains valid until the employer withdraws it. Uh, even if they withdraw it, you can still use it to get those H-1B extensions with any employer. Up until the time the priority date becomes current, at that point they're going to expect that you'll have the new I-140 in place, and we'll file the 485 based on that.
10: Got it. Okay, that helps. Um, another question. So, based on my I-140, and based on my H-1B, uh, my spouse she has her EAD. So, what would the what would that status be? Would that affect when I do a transfer to to a new uh, new employer?
1: No, she can continue using her existing EAD. Um, the only difficulty, and it's not a major difficulty, is if you're going to file your transfer and not include the H-4 and EAD extension along with it at the same time, you're going to have different end dates. So your H-1B is going to be valid for longer than her H-4 and H-4 EAD. So you just have to keep that in mind and right. make sure you file her extensions timely.
10: Got it. Okay. Perfect. Uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you so much, Emily. Uh, great. Thank
1: Good. you. All right, next question, Tarun.
8: Uh, hi Emily, uh, this is Tarun. Uh, this is regarding uh, employment contract. So basically my ex-employer, he uh, filed uh, a summons that, uh, for breaking uh, three years of employment contract. Basically I left after one year. Uh, just um, uh, want to know how to handle this case. Gotcha,
1: okay, and what's your immigration status? H-1B. Okay, and have you already transferred to another employer?
8: Yeah, so basically after two years, my ex-employer, he filed a case. uh, Two years after you left it. Yeah.
1: Oh, wow, okay. Um, Okay, so it really has no impact on anything to do with your immigration status. Um, So it's ultimately going to be um, you, you might want to hire an employment law attorney in your state to uh-huh. look at the contract and look at the summons and see if the company has any leg to stand on, um, so that you could choose to fight the lawsuit. Um, if the old company had any kind of violations of immigration, if they didn't pay you properly at any point, things like that, yeah. you could utilize that um as mm-hmm. a kind of leverage um to fight so it'd be kind of two separate things go ahead did, did they have any immigration issues
8: uh yeah there is one and that's the reason why i left the uh, company my uh, mm-hmm. uh, previous company basically when i got a new job and uh, moved over to a different location they didn't file uh, an lca labor amendment mm-hmm. Mm The filing paper, I mean, immigration filing is not that great. So that's why I left Mm -hmm. the company and moved to a different employer. So can I fight with that reason?
1: Potentially. So what we do um, sometimes for employers that are unscrupulous and not paying properly, um, and um, you could fill out the WH-4 form, which is the complaint to the labor department and mark all Mm -hmm. the things that the company has done wrong. And kind mm-hmm. of send them a demand letter saying, "Hey, if you don't drop this lawsuit, you know I'm going to file with this with the labor department. They might op- open up an investigation um, okay. into all of your immigration practices, and that might be enough leverage to, you know, to get them to uh, withdraw that lawsuit. But also, uh, I would consult with an employment law attorney in your state mm-hmm. to see if it's possible that the contract isn't even enforceable the way that it's written." Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. okay. or there may be other um, options that you might have from an employment law standpoint but one thing once you speak with them if if it looks like um, that it's a, a valid contract and a valid lawsuit you may be able mm-hmm. to you know scare the employer based on their pr- mm-hmm. past history of problems by sending them that wh4 form oh
8: sounds good uh, one last question like uh Will it affect my current status anyway? Like, if I go to labor department and file that uh, case regarding that my ex-employer didn't file? Sure. No, nope, not at all. No. All right, that's helpful information. Thank you. Okay, Loka. Hey Emily. Uh,
6: my question is: uh, I'm on H one, and my H one visa stamping is going to expire in July 2022. So I'm planning planning to travel in June, uh, in May, and come back in uh, sometime end of June before the visa expiry. But in the meanwhile, my employer is also going to file my extension next month. So my question is, uh, if if the extension is approved, can I still go and come back with my old current visa or do I need to go for visa stamping?
1: If the extension, so there's kind of two different issues. So you can go and come back um, on the existing H-1B, um, before that stamp expires, that's fine. We usually recommend that you not travel while it's pending and it doesn't really have anything to do with the stamp but it does have to do with your I-94. So you might want to consider traveling first, coming back and then having the employer file the extension. So, because when you travel and come back in you're gonna get a different I-94 number. That's the one that you look up on the CBP website And that's the one that your company needs to include in their extension application so that the extension comes with the correct I-94 number. Otherwise, you would want to have the company file the extension and get it approved first, because that's gonna have your current I-94 number on it. And then you travel and come back in, then you'll get a new number. Um, And then you can show them the new extension approval notice and see if they will give you the I-94 Um, end date that matches the approval notice, which they should, even though your visa is expiring on that date, because you've already gotten the extension approved, they should give you the I-94 at the port of entry to that same end date. Um, So either way is fine, but I generally don't recommend traveling while it's pending, because if they file now, they're going to file with your current I-94 number, and then you're going to travel and come back in, you're going to get a new number but your approval is going to come with the old number on it and sometimes that can create problems for getting your driver's license renewed okay. if anything okay. comes up with the social security office those i-94 mismatches can be kind of a hassle you could travel again to canada or mexico to clear it up um, if the timing doesn't work out to where they can't file before or you don't want to wait until after but that's generally what i would recommend
6: so uh, if let's say if the extension is approved, uh, I can travel with my current visa without going to a stamping, correct? Okay.
1: Correct. Yeah, just oh. show the new approval notice when you okay. come back in so that you get the I-94 for the extended time.
5: Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
1: Nesh? Uh,
6: hey, Emily, this is Neresha. I, sp- I, I spoke earlier regarding my I-90 typographical error, sorry, not I-90, but e- green card typographical error EB2 versus EB3. Mm-hmm. Do you think there is any repercussions if I just leave it like that and then not get it corrected like during that or anywhere else?
1: Um, nothing in terms of travel or work authorization or anything like that but at the time of citizenship potentially um, that's where they are going to look into everything again and they may get confused as to how you got this approval with this other notation is there some error that happened in there so i would probably um take a look at it now
6: okay so you recommend get it corrected rather than just leaving mm-hmm. it like yeah okay understood thank you appreciate your mm-hmm.
1: time. Emily, there are no more hand raised. all right so i guess we can wrap it up for today thanks everyone for joining <laughs>